This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Equity Life. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Equity. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm excited for this episode. We've seen uh, so many new ETFs come to market, but not a lot of crypto ones. Mm. Uh, And there's been a whole bunch of reasons for that, which we're going to unpack. But we've got a guest here who is right on the forefront of getting crypto ETFs onto traditional stock exchanges. That's it. It is our pleasure to welcome to the Equity Mates studio, Dan Annan. Dan, welcome. Thank you, gents, for having me. It's not often that we have um, someone with such extensive experience in ETFs join us in the studio. Uh, just to give you a bit of a sense, so Dan is the CEO of Cosmos Asset Management, a relatively new Australian asset manager looking to list crypto-focused ETFs on the Australian Stock Exchange, as Ren said. But Dan, you have uh, a lot of experience in in uh, local and global funds management industry. You headed up BetaShares institutional ETF business for three years. Prior to that, you held various roles within iShares ETF business for BlackRock, both in US and Australia, and uh, focused on capital markets, as well as uh, incorporating equity and fixed incomes ETFs into their business model. So a lot of experience in ETFs, and we're going to unpack it all today as you push for crypto-focused ETFs here in Australia. Yeah, look, absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I mean, look, one of the really fun part about this whole journey uh, for me is the early years of just trying to, you know, hone my skills and learn as much as I can. Um, and when the idea came about and how do we actually get a crypto ETF out the door, uh, it was a challenge that I was ready for. So super stoked to talk more about it. Nice. nice. Well, Dan, before we speak about the world of crypto ETFs, uh, we love to, I guess, unpack your journey a little bit and would love to start with your very first investment. Can you take us back? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, very, my very first investment was actually in university. Um, as part of our economics class, we, we had this project where we had to build a portfolio and I ended up picking a mining stock and I couldn't tell tell you what that, that stock was. Um, but in the in the first two days <laughs> of the stock, I was up like 5,000%. No way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, only, only, you know, I mean, it was just incredible. And I think, I remember my professor just going, you're like, you know, you're lucky, you know. Mm-hmm. bum or whatever what have you not the, the there was a proper word that he used which I wouldn't use on here but um you know that, that sort of it piqued my interest you know it was just, it was sort of like wow like you know how how the you know how could you run you know five thousand percent in two days in, in a mining stock you know and you know that you know that experience you know just really kind of taught me uh, to just really have a think about the fundamentals of investing. You know, um, because I, I mean, I ended up spending quite a bit of time just really, it was, I mean, in the beginning, it was just a joke, was just basically dots on the wall, pick five stocks. Mm. Uh, and I ended up, you know, five, 5,000, you know, 5,000% up in, in the portfolio. So, you know, it, what that did was basically open my eyes to, you know, really thinking about the fundamentals of companies um, when, when it comes to investing, thinking about diversification. Uh, along the way. Mm. Too bad I didn't actually have my cash in it. I was know, like, <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah. <laughs> <Dad>. <laughs> 
Now, Dan, you've had a pretty interesting story from Ghana through to the US and then also from professional football into funds management. <laughs> yeah. So before we jump into the, the meat of the interview, perhaps can you t- take us through some of the key moments of your journey over the last sort of few years or so? When it comes to sport, I mean, if you grow up in, you know, most third world countries, Africa, you know, football or soccer is sort of like the sport that, you know, most of these emerging economies play. And, you know, I grew up playing it, you know, I had family that played professionally. So that just sort of like naturally gravitated towards just like trying to play. I don't think growing up, I had this idea that I was going to play professional soccer. Like that wasn't sort of the goal. Right. Um, But I moved to the U.S. at the age of around 12 um, and just, you know, walking by a park, some kids were playing and, you know, I just like jumped on just as if I would if I was playing and, you know, playing, walking across a park in Ghana. And I just jumped on and I started playing and the coaches got all excited and then signed me up. And that's where I, I would say, like, I actually started playing my uh, organized football ever. You know, it was just so funny. I was just like walking by and like, anyway, so. For me, the, 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 I mean, I, the, one of the, one of the things um, that really helped me with balance was that my dad was always around like education first, sports second, right? So I enjoyed playing soccer. So for me to actually be able to do that, I had to make sure that, like my schooling was right. You know, I remember one one summer I got benched when I get when I got benched. My dad kept me home from going to play um, because you know my grades weren't as good as he wanted to and so basically just you know basically house chores and uh, so that was a summer I wouldn't forget you know um, <laughs> which kept me in line so because of I guess my athleticism I was able to sort of succeed and I got lucky to go play professional afterwards mm. Mm. and from there you jumped into the world of finance and then into the world of ATFs at uh, iShares uh, which is now owned by BlackRock at uh, BetaShares uh, which when you joined them was a bit of a startup, I guess, in the ETF space in Australia, taking it to some of the multi-trillion dollar incumbents. Um, I guess why ETFs and, and what have you learned in, yeah, in that yeah. journey? Yeah, look, my journey my journeys in, into ETFs actually was around 2002 and it was just when I had just transitioned out of, you know, playing sport. You know, at the time I was with Alliance Bernstein, which is, you know, a fund manager out of New York. And one of, one of my early jobs there as, as an associate was, you know, just basically managing mandates for clients. So we won an emerging markets equities mandate from an institutional client. And at the time, you know, we needed to gain exposure when we were funding that mandate um, to China. In certain markets, in emerging markets, they're called ID markets. You need a license to trade in those markets or a tax ID to trade in those markets when you're opening up accounts. And so it could take eight months to a year to actually be able to do that. And so historically, what most fund managers will do is use derivatives or futures to gain exposure to that asset class. In in that process, we came across FXI, which was an iShares ETF that gave exposure to China, right? Um, and so, really, that was my first experience to ETFs. You know, I mean, I didn't go looking for it. You know, I think the portfolio manager found it, did this comparison. It was just like, you know, let the client know this is what we're going to use for that exposure. Um, and that's where I cut my teeth, right? You know, so right away, like, I just, I just gained that interest. It was like, wow, okay, well, I couldn't trade futures to gain access to China, but with FXI, I could go trade China and get exposure to China. Mm. So it opened my eyes to the, the, you know, the tool the ETF brought to investors, not just to institutional clients, but to retail investors, right? And that's really the key uh, of ETFs. The whole goal when it was started was to, I mean, initially started as an institutional 
product out of Canada, but the iShares business was to really bring the institutional access that they've, you know, institutional investors have had for, you know, for ages with indexing to the retail mm-hmm. client. Um, and that was sort of, that piqued my interest. It was a growing asset class. Um, you know, we we're going to be competing with traditional funds like mutual funds in the U.S. So to me, that was just like, okay, this is a, a it's new. I've seen it. It was pretty cool for that experience. Why not go give it a go? Give it a go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I joined iShares. 2005, 2006, you know, um, I think we were just, you know, not even into the trillion in assets when I joined um, and just, you know, took the opportunity to learn every single facet of the business, you know, throughout. And uh, ETFs have exploded since. I think we came across a couple of the other day, single stock ETFs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, whatever it takes, you know. Um, I, I'm not so sure about it if, if a single stock ETF makes sense. Unless, well, let me, why would that make sense? I think it was leverage. It was, there was okay. uh, triple leverage and okay. then there was also inverse. Okay, yeah. fair yeah, enough. Yeah, All right. yeah. But like, is there such, <laughs> will there ever be too many ETFs? Well, <laughs> look, so long as you're trying to solve, solve a problem um, for investors, right, that makes sense. Because what, what's an ETF? ETF is an access tool. You know, if you have an access tool that gives uh, specific investors a single stock, leveraged exposure, so be it, right? Um, and that, that's all it is. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's, it's been designed to give both professionals and retail investors a way to gain access mm. to, you know, which, whichever asset class you're looking for. So equities, you know, plain and simple, you know, like, you know, again, I wouldn't touch a single stock, um, you know, ETF, but I definitely, you know, like exposures like, ID markets, China, et cetera, for the professionals. If you're an Australian investor and if you wanted to own the Australian market, you know, ASX 200, that's an easy play. Uh, commodities, you know, silver, gold, you know, oil, all these exposures that are really hard to gain access to, you know, the ETF gives you access, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of, you know, dovetails into, you know, the crypto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's turn to that. And, um, I think a lot of uh, people who are trying to solve this crypto access problem are, you know, crypto believers. They've they've come from a crypto background, but you've come from an ETF background, and I, I guess that might be a little bit different. Uh, so let's start with your first introduction to crypto. When did you come across it? The first time I actually just paid attention to it um, was in 2009, uh, and it was at a town hall at, at, at BlackRock, and you know the you know the asset class was sort of just rocketing and. And everyone's sort of talking about it, which tends to happen. And the question came up, you know, would we, would we, would BlackRock ever launch a Bitcoin ETF? In 2009. Yeah. The flat out response, I think the question was basically, it was, it was a town hall. The question came up and then the question was thrown back at the audience or whoever asked that question. And it was more like, is this a regulated asset class or is this a regulated asset? And the response was no. And he goes, well, you have your answer. Right. So it was more around like, okay, well, if it's not a regulated asset, then we can't list it as an ETF. Fast forward, you know, back in Australia. I mean, I'm living in Australia now. And, you know, I had some friends that were closely looking at this space, you know, um, and just you know, picking my brain as an ETF expert. Right. So, again, you know, how do we think about pricing? How do we think about calculation? How do we think about custody? Uh, just trying to solve all these, you know, nitty gritties to actually deliver 
what you would call an unregulated platform, which had seen mass adoption into a regulated platform, which is what the ETF gives you. So just in, in our discussions, I just thought it's like, wow, okay, well, like these are, this, there's a lot of cool things going on here um, that we can easily solve. It will take some convincing uh, with the regulators, right, to, to get us there. And right away, that curiosity just piqued, piqued my interest. You know, just like, well, there's a problem. I think we can solve it. Let's get together. Let's figure out how to do it. So Cosmos, well, for those that haven't come across it before, you said, we said at the top, it's a relatively new Australian asset manager, crypto-focused ETFs. Tell us a bit about it. Where is it up to? Mm-hmm. Um, so that if those are sitting at home and are interested, what might be available for them? Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, the, the business was founded, Cosmos Asset Manager was founded, you know, back in 2020, Feb 2020, uh, with a sole focus of looking at the crypto asset class and delivering it can into an ETF. Can we just pause on the timing? Yeah. Feb 2020, great time to start a business, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right? Yeah. Um, you know, I was not involved at the time, but like, again, I was definitely, you know, the discussion to the launch table like we're having now and my brain's being picked about it. On, in 2021, because again, like the curiosity just really, really piqued my interest. And I was like, okay, well, we were having discussions around it, and the guys were like, look, why don't you come run it? Like, you know, you sort of helped us out in this discussion along the journey. Like, we're at a place, at the time, the, you know, one of the founding partners is focused on listing the Bitcoin mining business in the U.S., so they were so focused and didn't have the, the attention to the Cosmos business. It's like, I'm just, I'm, you know, come do it. And I was like, well, sure, you know, <laughs> it's a horse, a horse. <laughs> um, but the, the real, the, the key for us was, you know, just trying to identify where were the roadblocks. There was a lot of <laughs> a lot of roadblocks, right? From exchanges and your ruling, from ASIC and sort of definition of what this asset class should or should it not be. There was some involvement from Treasury uh, and some politicians around like your views on the asset class. You know, luckily we had a team, you know, that had had a I would say connectivity into all those pockets, right? Um, so my role in the beginning was just really to figure out like the product structure, mm. you know, and then let the other other players just figure out the politics of, you know, the education to get us get us through the door. Today, Cosmos has three ETFs, I believe, a spot Bitcoin, a spot Ethereum, and then the Bitcoin miners ETF. Is, is that why the spot Bitcoin and the spot Ethereum uh, ETFs hold the Canadian ETF? Is that to get around uh, like re- rules? Yes and no. Okay. When we first designed our Bitcoin ETF, we had a cold storage wallet lo- locally to gain access mm. to it. Now, in coming up and listing the product at the final hour, we learned about some margin requirements that were put in place um, for the asset class. And so, and, and I, I totally understood why. So in the case of crypto, if you don't have the infrastructure in place, you can't go and buy the underlying coin. So Dan, just like um, a single stock ETF might sound a bit silly, what, what's the argument or what's the need for a spot ETF for Bitcoin or Ethereum when you can just go and buy the, the underlying asset itself? Yeah, look, I mean, one of the key reasons is security, right? I mean, 
I'm sure you guys have, have all heard it, right? Like the stories around someone forgetting their password or losing your token or getting hacked, you know, all of the above, right? And you know, I haven't made a mind that it's, you know, it's this is all joking. It's, a, it's sort of a, a bit of a sad story. But, you know, the, the parents, you know, were doing really well last year. Uh, had about, I think, three million or so uh, in crypto. Um, started to renovate their house, you know, thinking that, you know, this this asset, you know, they've got this this cash there. And they got a, you know, one of those online, I, I guess, USB tokens or off, offline tokens called storage. Plugged it in, gone. No way. And that's just like one, right? And so mm-hmm. like that's one instance. And I'm sure that there's countless stories out there, right? They're, they're, you're going to, unfortunately, in this environment, you're going to find some bad apples out there trying to basically take advantage of such an example. You know, the ETF was designed for two reasons, and this is what piqued my interest to actually come and do this. Is one, it gave access to professionals that had clients that were managing money for clients that were clients were asking them for it, but they couldn't actually give them access to it. So they had to basically turn them away. Mm-hmm. That's one. Two, in the context of asset allocation and portfolio management, you want to be able to see all your portfolios in one place where you can actually assess what risk you're taking in any given day. This is an extremely volatile asset class, right? So you want to be able to actually assess that. And so what the ETF does is it brings all the bells and whistles in trading in, in trading shares, in managing risk systems in a portfolio, and then plug in you know, sort of the unlining asset to that familiar ground. Right. So the key benefit, really, of having an ETF in this asset class is risk management, mm. Mm. right? Because what you do is you basically minimize the chance of some of these things happening. Mm. Yeah. If you'd never, if you want to never have to understand what cold storage is or anything like that, you can. You can just get access to the asset. Yeah. So I think most people at this point in you know 2022, they understand what Bitcoin and Ethereum are. The digital miners access ETF for me is the one that's probably the, the most interesting of the three because it's not something I've really come across before. And you know, over and over again in industry and industry that we hear about uh, on, on this podcast, picks and shovels, picks and shovels, find a way to invest in the picks and shovels of the industry, whatever it is. And digital miners are really the picks and shovels of the digital asset uh, industry. So tell us a little bit about the ETF. And I guess for people who aren't super familiar with the role miners play, help us situate them in the crypto ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So look, the key role that the miners play is securing a network. Uh, And by doing so, they get rewarded either Bitcoin now Bitcoin only. I mean, it was Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies. But that's really the key role, right? So if you think about how are transactions um, verified and, and secured in the network, that is the key role of the cryptocurrency miners. All right? They provide what I would say the security and verification of transactions. And by doing that, they actually get rewarded for it. If we put it in sort of, you know, in comparison, like think of, think of it this way. How does gold come to market? You have, you know, gold miners that go out and they basically dig and they find gold and they bring it to market. So what the Bitcoin or Ethereum or cryptocurrency miners do is how coins or tokens that come to market is by verification, they are rewarded a token. And that's how new, new co- coins are basically provided to the market. 
Right. So, again, if you're if you're new to the space, um, and you're thinking, all right, this is an NASA class that, that seems interesting. I don't really understand, you know, the tokens themselves and how they work or what have you not. But I do understand. I understand equities. So then the question then becomes, how do I value a Bitcoin miner? How do they make money? And for some context out there, I think the stat from last year, miners generated, you know, Bitcoin miners generated about $20 billion in revenue last year. Oh, wow. wow. So, and then what is the model? So it's, it's if you're sort of to cut how they make money, it's energy, their cost of energy, resources, and the price of Bitcoin. Mm. Right? So... You know, if let's say if I'm spending five grand to win a token, right, at peak in October, you know, my net was 61K, mm. right? Today, obviously, that's come in yeah. quite a bit, right? So, like, if I'm still spending five grand, then my net is now like 15K, yeah. approximately. Just and the data, the data is available to anyone that wanted to see this. You know, like you know, you can just Google, like you know, what is what is my, what are the miners' revenue? So, and these are listed companies that are out there basically for the next generation of our digital economy. So, think of it this way: if you had an opportunity to invest in sort of cloud businesses back in the early two thousands, what the mining companies are today, uh, from a reference perspective are the cloud businesses back in the 2000s. And it's early stages, right? Like you're going to have some businesses that are going to make it. You're going to have some businesses that won't make it just based on the business model and volatility. So the best way to actually gain exposure is a basket of companies Mm. that are in play. The two challenges to that idea of, you know, the future of miners is in the short term, energy costs, like the biggest cost input is energy. And we all know what's happening with energy at the moment. Longer term, it's this conversation around uh, proof of work v proof of stake. And uh, you mentioned that there's no longer the need for Ethereum miners. And that's because Ethereum merged and now they're a proof of stake network rather than a proof of work network that requires uh, crypto miners. Has that affected uh, the ETF, interest in the ETF, any of the companies in the ETF? Has How have, I guess, you in the crypto space uh, gone through this? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously within the basket, there will be some companies that were, you know, um, Ethereum miners. So let's take, a, let's take a step back and have a think about, you know, if I'm a miner, Ethereum miner, uh, what were my options for the merge? Which is what we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? So if I was mining Bitcoin to win, win token and the proof of work, uh, platform. Now I've got to think about proof of stake and how do I still continue? So if you think about it, most of the Ethereum miners will probably have custody or holdings of ETH, right? So what do I do? I just shift to staking to continue to win my rewards. Mm. So that's one. So it's how, you know, as far as what so that is. You it, save on the energy cost as well then. <laughs> so again, so again, so you're, you're up, right? Depending on what your inventory is. But what one of the interesting things that we saw at the merge is that you saw a lot of the miners basically move to Ethereum Classic mining. So we saw the hash rate jump about 280% instantly. So, you know, again, it's too early to tell the impact of revenue generated by the miners um, with the merge. But the, the key thing is that, you know, these guys, you would assume... You know, if I was running it, you would assume that I would think about all the possibilities and opportunities within the digital economy and to ensure that I'm basically, you know, have processes in place to pivot 
and and make sure that I, you know I don't I don't basically bleed dry on my business model. So we cover a lot of what happens in equity markets on the show, but uh, not uh, as closely as uh, we don't follow the crypto market as closely. So how would you kind of sum up what's going on at the mar- at, at the moment? Uh, you know, you know it feels we're definitely in a bear market crypto winter how would you sort of sum it up look i mean i think the the and i think we started to talk about this when i first walked in the door right um generally speaking you know risk risk assets across the board and when i say risk asset i'm including equity risk asset tech assets are all being squeezed yeah. right because if you have to think about the the risk of capital and how investors basically allocate now one of the interesting thing about crypto in this current environment is that for the first time, we're sort of entering into an environment where you had more institutional investors participating than, than in previous past, right? So for me, two things sort of rings a bell there. Like for me, it's, it tells me that, you know, you've got an institutional mindset or acceptance of the asset class. So that's a positive. And with that, that's going to push for regulation to support the asset class going forward. But if you have a look at, and again, like I guess in the simplest term, like what crypto is going through now is what the tech sector went through in 2000. With the exception of now you have more institutions in play, you have more regulators looking at it to ensure that, again, individual investors are protected. Uh, and so that's the positive for me. Mm-hmm. But across the board, you know, if, you know, if you talk to any equity manager or if you talk to any you know, hedge fund, risk-free capital is scarce, meaning like most people that you know are, that are holding cash are going, okay, well, how do I allocate that cash um, based on what central banks are doing? Mm. If I look at the crypto asset class specifically, you know, if you look at it as far as from a price perspective, we've been pretty stable, you know, with Bitcoin sitting at around like 20K. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, how it's sat there for so long. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that I've been watching is... Th- Fed interest rate movements or just central bank interest rate movement and impact. So when the Fed started to move, we saw sort of, you know, we saw so we saw it. Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> again, leveraged businesses got crunched and just got smashed. And then we went from, you know, I think it was sixty and started in October, like, you know, sixty, then forty-five, then thirty-five, and then twenty. Mm-hmm. And we've been sitting here and we've seen consistent movement from central banks raising rates, but we've seen the stability of price. Mm. My view, and I think you know most would agree, is that from the crypto asset class perspective, this potential, you know, that you have to have a view, this potential that, that it's been washed out, this potential that we are you know, at a ground floor from a price perspective. But the mentality, you just think about like the investors that got burnt, you know, like this is this is where you know you had a lot of it doesn't help when the media also, and no point in you guys, when you have an asset class, you know, basically delivering such performance that everyone basically turns to it mm. and you, you see heightened information and you get, you know, locker room talks and everyone is jumping to it and buying high and getting smashed. And then when they get to the ground floor, when they shall be actually allocating capital, yeah. everyone's scared and confused. I think this is a good ground floor for investors just thinking about the asset class. I mean, could it move down, you know, another 5K or so? Can Bitcoin go down 15 or maybe even 14? Possibly. But look, just, you know, if you dial a cost, if you have to have a long-term view for this asset class, again, like the tech in 2000, you know, you're not 
putting all your eggs in one basket mm. when you get in here. Like it's a dip and that will co cost average and, and you have to have a view of a long call option for the asset class, mm. right? The, the, thing that, the thing that I struggle to remind myself but I do try and remind myself is I, I try and think back to like 2017, 2018 and like how, how much mania there was in that, that peak then it peaked at like 19,000. It peaked mm. at what Bitcoin is today. And obviously then it went down and we had a crypto winter and then it just just went crazy in like 2020, 2021. But where we are now, which we're saying is a crypto winter, it was the the peak of the mania just, what, four years ago. It's pretty crazy when you, you put it all in context like that. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. look, and I think what we've seen with, you know, in particular with, with Bitcoin Every four years, you know, we see sort of this mm. new new heights, right? Because of the having mm. and difficulty of mining. So, I'm not here to say, you know, like you know, go rushing in, but certainly do your homework. Um, if you look at the fundamentals of what's happening behind the scenes with the with you know whether with the companies or with the coins, you know, you you continue to see increase, you know, individual adoption. You see, you know. Merchants entering the space accepting payments for Bitcoin. You know, it's funny. I just sent a text, uh, you know, uh, to my brother-in-law and my, my father-in-law just uh, this morning. I just saw today that Colorado today is accepting, you know, Bitcoin payments and taxes. No way. You know, we're slowly seeing the asset get incorporated into our daily lives, uh, and we're seeing, you know. States accept them as payments for taxes. Uh, we're seeing merchants enter it, accept them for payments as, you know, for goods and services. You know, you have a general investor base that basically holds it for the long-term view. I see a future, you know, where Bitcoin is basically being held across emerging economies. And you see the G7 countries creating their own digital currencies. And we've already seen sort of that test cases sort of happening, even including here in Australia. So this asset class is here to stay and it will be embedded in our capital markets in some shape or form. Mm. No one knows what that's going to look like in the future, mm. right? Um, but I think, you know, if you're a curious investor, do your homework and then think about tools that allows you to basically gain exposure uh, without taking too much risk, mm. which mm. is why the ETF tool basically is, is got me excited about it. Yeah, yeah. The emerging market point is a really interesting one because, you know, we obviously sit here in Australia and we think about Bitcoin uh, in a certain type of way as like an investment asset. Um, but I, I remember, you know, when Venezuela was really collapsing. Well, I mean, it's still not great, <laughs> but um, like that, they were talking about like rates of Bitcoin adoption there and like the, the conversation you have about crypto there is very different to the conversation we have about crypto here. Yeah. And it's hard for us to sort of put ourselves in that context. But I feel like that's a really interesting conversation that probably is one that we should be paying attention to. Yeah, look, I mean, so just a little bit on, on that. You know, if you think about fixed income and how most of these emerging economies raise capital when it comes to debt, right? So for global acceptance and for global uh, issuance, because of the volatility of these, you know, you know, like these countries, most of them will issue debt in U.S. dollars. And at the same token, if you think about the inflation environment of the U.S. dollar and the impact on these economies, has been extremely punitive. So, and when I talk about capital markets, I see a future where, and it's already starting to happen. Like I think maybe four or five months ago, you had, I think it might have been Venezuela or, or somewhere in South America, uh, invited 
40 emerging economies to come together and really think about you know Bitcoin as part of their treasury balance sheet and how they gravitate towards you know issuing debt under this digital token. Mm. What that will do is, and again, once it gains global acceptance and, and you see more of a you know global mass adoption of the of the token, you see some stability. And guess what? The blockchain technology would would actually improve fixed interest and tra- transfer of of capital and and transfer of trading, et cetera, across globes. So I see an economy where like again, emerging economies coming together under one token, Bitcoin, uh, issuing debt because it will be well accepted across the globe and then interchangeably being able to trade that asset. Mm. Right? It's, yeah. not gonna, it's not going to happen overnight, right? But again, that's sort of, I think, that's, that's my view. You know, when you have such an interest in technology that's being built, you know, look at all the different possibilities that, you know, and the outcome of what the future holds. Mm. Well, there's plenty happening and coming down uh down the pipeline of uh, future technologies in the world of crypto. Web3, NFTs were a thing. I don't know if they're still a thing. <laughs> <laughs> DeFi, you name it, there's plenty happening. So what's, what sort of technology is really exciting you the most in the ecosystem of crypto at the moment? Yeah, look, I think Web3 is super exciting, right? Um, you, know, if you, you know, for those that, you know, I had to go sort of refresh, what's Web1, what's Web2, what's Web3? But like Web1, as we all know, is just basically like that's where we just got information. And that's it, you know, like, you know. Uh, exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and then Web2 basically gave us the opportunity, which is what we, we are in now, where we can contribute to that information. What's happened with Web2 is that it's still centralized and it's controlled by a few, that information. And so what Web3 will do is basically try to break that up and give more control, decentralize uh, the internet for everyone. You know, And if I think about the tokens today and, and how they basically play onto that Web3 blockchain or the Web3 technology, I think Ethereum is super exciting for the Web3 technology uh, because of the smart contract nature of it. NFTs, look, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still trying to get smart around it. Mm-hmm. I, if, I'll lie to you if I, if I said that, you know, I, I know everything about it. I'm still trying to get smarter around it. The best thing that's been explained to me about NFTs is that if you can think about like the, you know, the golf club um, or the country club, you know, so think of NFTs as the crypto country club. Okay. You know, some of those, you know, some of the smart minds in the space basically forming this club and basically trying to sort of generate attention to that asset class. I'm still trying to learn about it. Um, you know, I, I'm, I can tell you that I'm not invested in it personally just because I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But what really excites me is the, the Web3 technology uh, whereby, you know, just think, here's an example. If you... We all listen to. We all use Apple Music, right? I don't use Apple Music. I'm, a, I'm a Spotify yeah, guy. Me <laughs> I don't use Spotify. You're or a YouTube Apple. Music guy. I'm a YouTube guy. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Damn, well, we're gonna have to come up with another <laughs> analogy. Oh, there you go. Well, let's just stick with Apple Music. That's what I. <laughs> but I'm sure Spotify is probably the same. But just think about the, think about the platform and and payments of those that are involved, right? So, you have a record label. You have the Apple platform, and then you have the creator, the artist. Now, at the moment, you know the artist basically contracts with the record label, and the record label contracts with Apple. Think about the payment system. You know, like 
I don't know when they actually get paid or anything like that, but it's broken. It's broken down in, in three pieces. There's a future whereby, and I think this is where Ethereum becomes really, really interesting, whereby if I go and buy my music on Apple, instantaneously, I get paid, the record label gets paid, and Apple gets paid. So the, the artist basically gets paid right away through the Ethereum blockchain technology because of the small contract nature. That same, that same technology could apply for insurance companies and how they manage premiums across their businesses. Uh, and any other business across the globe that has logistical players in there for payments. That is the world, I think, of Web3, where we all sort of have access and contribute and own our data. Mm. Mm. It is a fascinating world, one that I've certainly not got my head around, but I I've, I feel pretty lucky that we get to sit here and have conversations and try yeah. and get our heads around it. Um, but Dan, we, we have run out of time, so uh, we, we always like to finish with the same final three questions, uh, so we'll, we'll jump to those. And the first one is, do you have any books that you consider must read? Yeah. Um, one book that I read, I think, probably in my early years was Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. Okay. What that book taught me was, I mean, I'm a sh- shitty golfer, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone uh, is. <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I go out there and try and play every day. Actually, there's a... there's a Every day? Not every day. I, I mean, <laughs> I wish, Jeez, that price is great. Yeah, uh, I wish, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a... Definitely not every day. Otherwise, that would be, that would be a problem. Um, <laughs> if, if I'm playing every day and I'm, I'm still that bad, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> um, but uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, there's a, uh, a group of guys that you go out on a golf trip every day and these guys are you know you know they've been friends forever and i just jumped in like as a dad you know club and and go out with them and let's just say that i you know i i come out with a pink shirt every single day or every single trip because you know i'm that bad but what golf uh is not a game of perfect taught me is just like you've got to think about persistence mike tyson says this everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face uh, and certainly, like with this environment, obviously, as you can imagine, we've been punched in the face, yeah. right? Um, and so you've got to think, you know, be ready to think on your feet and, and pivot and most importantly, stay calm. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what that book basically, you know, yeah, nice. that's, that's what it's trying to get out of. It's like, you know, persistence, don't get into your head and just be quick, quick on your feet and stay calm. Yeah, nice. Nice. Well, I haven't heard of that one, so I'll add it to the, the rating list. There you go. Uh, the second question, uh, we, we love to draw out the, you know, the, what the hallmarks of, of really great companies. So forget the investment case today, forget what it's trading at valuation, anything mm-hmm. like that, just purely on what the company is, what it does and who it's run by. What's the best company you've ever come across? I can't use any of the companies that I work for, even though they're all like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> even though they're all like, they're all stellar, obviously, you know, um, so I've got to sort of think think outside here. I read Michael Dell's book, just learning about how he built chips. And I think if you think about the history of of that company Mm. and how they've pivoted and managed throughout all the turbulence and how they still are sort of, you know, surviving today. And they're even getting into the world of this asset class, right? Like they're, they're already sort of putting plans in place to get into this asset class. I think, you know, that, that model to me is, is, a, is, a, is a good model for a business. Mm. Mm. Is, and what I mean by that is, is just keeping an eye on what the future holds, um, making sure that you make the right pivots, you know, placing the right bets, and ensuring that you stay ahead of your competition and making sure you're delivering market needs. Mm. Uh, I think that's, um, you know, I, would, I would say that's that. Dell is also a fascinating case of, 
I, I guess financial engineering you'd call it like the way that they've structured and restructured that business over time they they this year they spun off vmware and yeah it's a fascinating case study for people who are interested in like the mechanics of finance as well yeah yeah uh final question uh dan and we want to say thank you uh for joining us today and if people want to find out more about cosmos they can go to the website cosmosam.com.au they can read about the etfs there uh but dan final question if you think back to your younger self you know at uni somehow finding a (laughs) five thousand percent uh (laughs) company in a couple of days uh what advice would you give to your younger self Oh, this is a, I just recently received one from my mom and, you know, like, you know, I have to sort of use that one. Um, And it's like, life is a lesson and the trick is find out what it's trying to teach you. Nice. Love it. Great way to end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dan, thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. We do really appreciate it. Um, Plenty of uh, interesting sort of I guess topics and, and points to uh, to dwell on given where we're at in the cycle and uh, everything that's going on the, in the ecosystem of cryptocurrency. So good luck with Cosmos. Um, we'll certainly be uh, watching. And uh, if any of the Equimates community are interested, as Alex said, cosmosam.com.au. But Dan, thank you very much. Thank you, gents, for having me. And uh, looking forward to our future conversations. Thanks, Dan. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website, where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.